Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. I'm mindful as we come into the fourth chapter of Acts. You can turn in your Bible, Acts chapter 4. Last week in chapter 3, we met the lame man. Lame for 40 years, from birth, never walked a day in his life. Carried to the temple, always sat there by the gate, beautiful, collecting alms. And he meets Peter and John. Silver and gold I have not, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Run out of that grave. Throw off those chains and follow me. Follow Jesus. I love that. And, and, and this is not, it's a, it's a beautiful, it's an amazing miracle. It's a testimony of who God is and what he can do when and where he wants. He's sovereign. But certainly we see these things. And the crowd there was amazed because they knew this guy. Forty years they've been walking by the gate as he's been sitting there. And now here he is leaping and dancing and shouting for joy and praising the Lord and uh, just can't contain himself. And so it prompts Peter to have a, a sermon there in the temple. Okay, a second sermon we saw. And in that, he addresses the crowd and he says, But you denied the holy and just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses, would say other places in the Scripture. This was not done in a corner. It's not like nobody was aware of what happened to Jesus that Passover. It spread throughout the known world. It's one of the greatest testimonies in all, all of human history. The most attested miracle, amazing thing is that you killed Jesus. Three days he was in the tomb and just like he said, just like his scriptures teach us, he came out of that grave. And he says, verse 16 of chapter 3 last week, and his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of y'all. Y'all saw it. We all saw it. You're seeing it. You're looking at it. It's a living miracle. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you're a living miracle. <laughs> Amen. And they all witnessed that. And it's so exciting to see lives changed. Every week I get testimony from you guys. It's one of the privileges of being the pastor here. I got the phone. The phone rings. I need to tell you about my Jesus. Last week, three baptisms. Woohoo! Three more baptisms. They just keep on rolling. Pretty soon we're going to have to do our baptisms walking on water as the river freezes over. But three baptisms last week, and it just doesn't stop. More and more people making more and more professions of faith. And I know you look around here and you say, well, I know him, I know her, I know them. They've been here for a while. I know their testimony. They're born again. But you, this is Sunday morning. You have to come on Tuesday. You have to come on Wednesday. You have to come on Friday. You have to come out and see what's going on on all the ministries. We've got ministries on Friday night that are about as many people as are in this room right now. Do you know that? 
It's amazing what God is doing. Open up the doors for people that want Jesus. They want to know who he is through faith in his name to have their lives changed. Well, it changed not only the lame man and those who were watching, but we see in chapter 4, it's going to change or if maybe yeah, change the hearts, make concrete the hearts of those who disagreed or disliked this Jesus. Chapter 2, we saw the inception of the church, right? The day of Pentecost, the church is born. The inception of the church. In chapters 3 and now 4 that we're in, we're coming into opposition to the church. You know, it's born, and as soon as it's born, it's destroyed. We read in the book of Revelation in chapter 12 how there's a woman who's about to give birth to the child, and that dragon is sitting there waiting to devour that child. And this has been Satan's strategy from the Garden of Eden that he could destroy God and his kingdom, his Messiah, his promise, his redemption. He could destroy you and I. This is what he does. And so we're going to see this opposition. As we go on through in the book of Acts, we're going to see correction coming next week in chapter 5. Uh, correction in the church. They got off course. So not only was it coming from outside, from inside, and then we're going to start moving into progression as the church continues to grow and, and move on. So today, opposition. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now as they spoke to the people, that's Peter and Paul, okay, preaching to the people gathered there at the temple, large crowd, as they spoke to the people, the priests the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So the chief priests, the Sadducees, we're going to see in this passage 11 different groups aligned against Jesus, against the gospel of Christ, against the church. They're facing opposition, just as the church faces opposition today. And so many people that would love to silence the church. And we're going to look at some of that, how it worked then and how it works now. But as we see this, we see this group, the Sadducees. The Sadducees held sway over the political life of Israel. If you remember in the Gospel of Luke, Luke wrote the book of Acts, right? He also wrote, obviously, the Gospel. The Gospel of Luke deals with Jesus Christ and his confrontations with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the people, much like pastors in churches, sprinkled throughout the community, throughout Israel, in the synagogues, the local house of worship. And the Pharisees, they were kind of uh, fundamentalists, and they, were, they would get quite legalistic, but they were very much interested in, in the scriptures and, and these kinds of things. And this is that battle that goes on between Jesus and the Pharisees in the Gospel of Luke. But here in the book of Acts, things change a little bit. And the confrontation is not between Jesus and the Pharisees, but between the church, Jesus' church, his body, and the Sadducees. And it steps up a notch. Now it's on a national level. Now it's on a political level. It's not your local house of prayer but it's what's going on in Boise. It's what's going on in D.C. It's going on in New York at the UN. 
the United Nations, UN, the UN, they're not, they're, they're not. But that's, that's the battlefield. It's shifted. It's grown. It expanded. It's going global from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the very farthest ends of the earth, literally to the days that we live in. This is that expansion of the book of Acts. And now we've got this battle between the Sadducees and the church, between Peter and John. And it says here, Annas and Caiaphas and, and these guys. Annas was the high priest of Judaism, but he was disposed, or deposed, I should say, not disposed, but deposed. He, he lost his office by Valerian, the Roman emperor. And the Roman emperor instead put his son-in-law, Caiaphas, in his place because Caiaphas was more uh, amenable, moldable. He, could, he was a little bit more afraid of the Romans, and so he would kowtow to what this occupying global empire wanted him to do. And so we have Caiaphas in there, and uh, we're going to see uh, John and Alexander. These are some of the leaders of the Jewish high court, the, the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin comes from the idea of 70 elders who ruled over the nation of Israel. Now, the Sanhedrin, we, in, in the United States, if we were to kind of compare who the Sanhedrin would be, it was definitely a religious but a political institution. They were uh, definitely, they didn't have separation of church and state there, okay? It, their, their state was all about the Jewish religion, and this is why they hated the Roman oppression so much. But in this, the Sadducees who held sway, the 70 of them, would be likened in the United States to not just our Supreme Court, which they would sit in judgment of all matters in Israel. They, they had in the Hall of Hewn Stones, it was a beautiful uh, place where they would gather the 70 of them and they'd look at issues. But not only would they judge, but they would legislate. They would dictate. They would control. They would be like a mixture of our, our Congress, the Senate, and the House of Representatives, and the Supreme Court all rolled into one. Okay? And now this is what's coming against this new church, this, this baby, this infant church, this highest court of the land, highest law of the land, these people with power. And so they, they find themselves on the opposite end of the stick here. It says, um, now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. Notice captain of the temple. They even have their own police force, a.k.a. D.O.J., Serious. This is, this is a branch of the government, and they would go out, FBI, DOJ. They would have the temple guard, and they, were th they, they went and arrested these guys. For, for doing what? We're going to see. Okay? Uh, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached Jesus, um, preached G in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees were very different than the Pharisees, and the Pharisees, very fundamental, but very scriptural. The Sadducees were very materialistic and very liberal, much as many churches uh, in the world, in America today, are extremely liberal, and they'll abide anything in the church as long as it fills the seats and fills the tithe and offering. They'll, they'll go with anything that brings money and power to them. But what they would not go for, Sadducees did not believe in miracles. They didn't believe in uh, the 
metaphysical, beyond the world. They just, what I can see, touch, taste, smell. You know, they're materialistic. They didn't believe in miracles, so they didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in heaven. And they're ruling Israel, and they did not believe in resurrection. And you're going to see this as we go through the book of Acts over and over and over again. Peter preaches resurrection. Paul preaches resurrection. Every time they do, riot breaks out. Because these leaders don't want them talking about that. Okay? Much as in the church today, if we were to speak up on something that wasn't popular with the government, we might get a knock on the door by the IRS. Or something like that, saying, "What well, you got to knock it off. You can't say that. You can't do that. Well, they don't have that power. We, t- we saw that with uh, Dan Fisher and the Black Robe Regiment. And we're free to pr- speak the truth. And the resurrection, it's, it's true. It's a fact. It's a well-attested fact in history. So this is this showdown that's coming on. Um, and because it was already evening, they were in the temple courts. They're preaching to the people. The people are gathered. We can't do anything about it now. Let's throw them in jail. We'll deal with this tomorrow. I had something fun that happened to me in 2005, so it's a long time ago, but I'll always remember it because I was at a missions conference. We were on, uh, or we were just about to go to the Philippines. We were ready to leave, and we were at this missions conference in Southern California, and there was a 1,000 people there, maybe something like that, missionaries from all over the planet and people that were mission-minded, sending out or those kinds of things, and there was a person there uh, who was from China, and he was Brother Zhu, and he had written this book, Heavenly Man, and it deals with what he was doing in China in the underground church and the time that he had spent in prison, preaching in the prisons, and how uh, when the communists came to power Mao Zedong, which is only like 40 years ago, it wasn't communist before that, but they threw all the Christians in the prisons. The prisons became the seminaries because that's where all the pastors were and everybody was teaching the Bible and whenever everybody got out and they thought, this is a good idea. When they get out, we'll separate them from their family and we'll send them off to the far corners of, of the, the country. We'll make a mail carrier so they just have to go around all by themselves all day long. And so what they ended up to do was to send them out salting the whole country with these itinerant preachers, right? But this man who came and preached, he was talking about being in prison and and being in jail. And then one of the speakers got up right after him and started telling his testimony, how he came to know the Lord in prison. And he just sat just, just kind of curious. And this is what struck me at that conference when I was there. He asked everybody there, by a show of hands, please raise your hand if you've spent time in prison or jail. Raise your hand. Everybody here. Raise your hand if you spent time in prison or jail. And some of you are like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to say it, you know. About three-fourths of the room raised their hand at this conference. Why? Because they were preaching Jesus Christ. Yeah, sometimes because they were idiots, and they got saved in jail, right? But nevertheless, this is what they did. They threw Peter and John into prison, Okay waiting for the next day. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Woohoo! Awesome, right? We saw in uh, chapter 1, there was 120. They're having a prayer meeting. The Holy Spirit shows up, day of Pentecost, and uh, then in chapter 2, we see it grow to 3,000, and now today, here we are, just days removed from Pentecost, and now the church is 5,000 men. It doesn't talk about women and children, but the church is just exploding. It's just growing like crazy. Nevertheless, they're young. 
They haven't really developed uh, their, their structure so much, and they're up against the nation, okay? And so it's this big showdown. Verse 5, and it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. If you kind of add that up, there's like at least 11 different groups aligned against them, okay? And we could go down through in America today, and you think of groups that are, you know, not friendly to uh, Christians, if it's Planned Parenthood or the ACLU, or you, you can just go on down the list, and it, there's all kinds of people that are coming against us. Obviously, uh, these wacko Palestinian protesters and all this stuff, it's real, okay? And this is what they're up against. These two guys, they're facing all of this. Verse 7, and when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Done what? They're talking about healing this man and preaching and turning the hearts of 2,000 more people that day to Jesus Christ. By what power or by what name do you do this? We talked about this a lot last week. His name, the name of Jesus. No other name on earth by which you can be saved, right? It is the name above all names. Jesus. I just love the name Jesus. And people are like, well, that's kind of weird. You're like, or is that superstitious? The word has power, like some magic formula. Well, when people hit their hammer, thumb with a hammer, they don't go, oh, Buddha or Muhammad. Why is it they always say Jesus? Because there's power in the name of Jesus. This is the third commandment, or no, the second commandment, that you shall um, not take the Lord's name in vain. There's power in the name of God. And so now the Sanhedrin, who doesn't believe in heaven, don't believe in angels, don't believe in miracles, don't believe in resurrection, certainly don't like Jesus, and they don't like Peter and Paul. They don't like what's happening to their power, their prestige, their pocketbook, and they are asking what power or what name. And those are two, basically, it's like synonyms. They're repeating the same idea because the name is powerful. There's power in the name. And they want to know by what power, by what name, are you teaching these people and doing these miracles? Now, to a certain degree, they were right to inquire. This was their house. It was their turf. It was their religious um, structure. They were the ones responsible for the religious affairs of the community. So by all means, they should inquire. What is this all about? But the, their hearts are, are, are defiled, and we're going to see some of that. But they had right to ask. In fact, if you go back to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 13, at verses 1 through 3, we read, If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul. Testing you. He's trying to see, are you faithful? Are you loyal to God? If somebody comes along and does a miracle, but he does it and gives glory to Beelzebub or gives glory to some demon, right? Or all the different things that are involved, like with Halloween that's coming up. We do realize there is power in the occult 
There is power in the demonic. There is power in Ouija boards and tarot cards and seances and all these kinds of things. There's power, sadly, in Rupert last night with the, the wizard convention where they're bringing little children in and teaching them spells to cast witchcraft spells that happened last night in Rupert. There's power there. It's dark. It's dangerous. And you shouldn't play with it. Don't even open the door to it. And this is what Deuteronomy teaches. If a guy comes and does a miracle, but he doesn't do it in the name of Jesus, you're not supposed to have anything to do with it. It goes on in verse 18 of Deuteronomy 20, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or to, who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. That, that's what the Bible says. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? How, how can we discern that? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. It goes on to say you should stone him. So if he does a miracle but doesn't give God the glory, stone him. If he does say in the name of God and the miracle doesn't happen, stone him. If, if somebody's going to go and make these declarations, we need to deal with it straightly. In the New Testament, 1 John chapter 4, we get instructions in this. John writes uh, in chapter 4, verse 1 of 1 John, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is already in the world. You are of God, little children. You have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us and he who is not of God does not hear us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So the Sanhedrin, the high priests, everybody at this trial, they want to know, what power, by what name have you done this? And here they are, just like they were in the last chapter, almost at a point where they could have com committed a terrible sin by becoming prideful and arrogant and thinking they did something. But they said, no, we're going to give the glory to God. It's in his name. It's in his name. Now here comes the opportunity once again. Maybe in this case, they don't take credit for it. Maybe in this case, they deny it. Peter has a track record of denying the name of denying the Lord, and we're going to see. But now Peter is different. It says in verse 8, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, right? This is what the promise was in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you will receive power, dynamic power like dynamite, to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the Holy Spirit then came on the day of Pentecost, and the apostles and those 120, they were filled. They were preaching the wonders of God, and 3,000 people were saved that day. And now they're just going by the gate, silver and gold I have not, but what I have I give to you. Rise up in the name of Jesus and walk, and, and amazing things are happening. Gifts of the Holy Spirit, manifestations designed to preach and teach and reach the world for Jesus Christ. 
okay? And all these things to God's glory. And so he is now filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice he just didn't get filled once with the Holy Spirit. He is filled and he continues to be being filled, okay? As you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you confess Jesus Christ is your Lord. You repent, you turn from your sins and your wicked ways, you turn to following Christ and ask him to be your God. He will fill you with his Holy Spirit. You are now a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. But the book of Ephesians teaches us in chapter 5, verse 18, that we must continue to be being filled, continually filled with the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit flows out of us through different ways that he uses that we can teach and reach the world, then we need another infilling. We need to continually be being filled. We need to constantly be filled. Just as in the book of Zechariah, it says, not by power or not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And it's a picture of just the filling of the Holy Spirit, a continual supply flowing into your life and flowing out of your life. And so here's Peter. He's just that river of life. He's that spring, just springing up into eternal life. He's preaching the word of God, filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, that's what you're judging me for? I healed somebody? That's the charges? I did good? Really? You're mad at me because I did good? If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that the name that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, so make sure we put that in there, you guys. <laughs> it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, by his name, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man stands before you whole. Huh. This is cool. Now, what did I say about Sadducees and resurrection? They don't like it. Every time somebody mentions resurrection, they, they just go ballistic. They just rage. They just lose it, right? And this is what Peter has done. He's brought up Jesus of Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, that you crucified him, you buried him, and he is risen. He's resurrected, and he just hammered them. He and he says, it's by him this man stands before you whole. You asked? I told you. Verse 11 he quotes out of Psalm 118, this is a stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. If you remember in the book of Matthew in chapter 16, Jesus is with the apostles. Peter is there, John is there, and the other apostles. And he's asking them, who do people say that I am? And they answer, well, some people say you're Elijah, others say you're a prophet, and Jesus says, well, now, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed to this, but our father in heaven. And I, from now on, I will call you Peter, because his name was Simon. I will call you Peter, the rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church, this confession of faith. And so here we see this rock, this chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. He's the foundation of the church. 
And you guys rejected him. He's your Messiah. He's your deliverer. It's what the scriptures preach since the book of Genesis. All the prophets, they keep talking to you about the deliverer, the just one, the holy one of Israel, (laughs) Messiah. And you discarded him. He's your foundation. This stone, which was rejected by you builders, has become the chief cornerstone. Verse 12, nor is there a salvation in any other For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, by which we must be delivered. There is no other way to heaven but by Christ, Jesus Christ. When he's with with the disciples in the upper room and he teaches them, I'm going to go away. Okay, in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and get you again. And, and Philip says, oh, we don't know where you're going, right? And, and Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to come to the Father, to go to heaven, than by Jesus Christ. It's the narrow way. It's the difficult way. It's not easy. You don't just fall into it. You have to seek it. And God will take you in that path. There is... Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which men must be saved. Now, I know there's a lot of churches that teach a lot of different ways to get to heaven. And they would say this is bigoted, this is myopic, it's narrow-minded. You guys are so simple. Just Jesus and Jesus only. Aren't there a lot of other ways to heaven? And you know what? You can come up with all kinds of religions. Many people do, and they even put... Christianity over their door but there is no other way to heaven and if you're going to do that just make sure you don't say that you're a biblical Christian because the Bible says there's no other way to heaven you can disagree with me but that's the word of God there's no other way but by God's grace there is a way and it's Jesus Christ some people say well what about that small boy in the Amazon who never got to meet Jesus or all these different examples and we know that God is just and God is good and God will work those things out but the question really isn't what about the boy in Amazon the question is what about you you've heard you're accountable now you're responsible to respond are you a follower of Jesus Christ do you believe that Jesus Christ is God Almighty. He was there at creation. He spoke the world into being, including you and me, and that we are accountable to Him. He is our Lord. He is our Master. He is our Savior. And do you believe the witness that these people are sharing, that He walked amongst us, lived a sinless life, was persecuted, crucified, buried, and rose again on the third day? Do you believe that? Because this is the gospel. This is the heart of everything we as Christians preach and teach and live is that this is the way to eternal life this is the way to forgiveness of sins this is the way to hope and glory and joy and peace it's in the name of jesus so this is what he says to them he gives them the gospel isn't it cool one of the things i think that's well two things that are kind of cool out of this for one notice how they don't dispute the resurrection they could have just produced the body They can't. There was no body. He's alive, okay? But they could have stopped it right here. They could have quashed this Christian uprising right there if they just said, ah, that's not true. The resurrection's not true. Problem is, it is. And you got to deal with it. Um, 
And so I, it's, it's really cool in this how we see no, that it, there was two points I was going to make, and I just lost my, my first point. I gave you the second one first, so I wouldn't forget the second one, and then I forgot the first one. <laughs> Maybe I'll remember it later. Nor is there salvation in any other name, for there is no other name under heaven by which given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. Wow. This is just, this is to me the, the most amazing part of all. We read in the book of Revelation in chapter 12 at verse 11, in this big cosmic battle, spiritual warfare for the souls of mankind, for the whole universe, we win. And it teaches that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. It's Jesus' blood that wins the victory for us. And our testimony that we have believed and received and applied the blood to our heart. And we, didn't, we weren't afraid of dying for, for that testimony. You know, We didn't count it something we wanted to hold on to this life. We have life eternal. We are immortal. We may, at some point, we all will, unless we're raptured, stop breathing right our heart will stop beating but we will we will pick up instantly in heaven this is this is the glory and the joy that we have um but it's it's fun here it says now when they saw the boldness of peter and john bold the idea of that word bold is lucid clear powerful convicting they witnessed this testimony the blood of the lamb crucified buried and risen. They saw their, their composure, their standing, their confidence, clear-minded, rational, not raving, not raging. They're not like so many protesters out on the streets today think that they can yell louder and they win the argument. That's not what they do. They just stand there and they just clearly say, you must be saved by Jesus. All of you Pharisees. Now, no doubt there were some people in the room that day like Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, who had come to Jesus and wanted to know, what's the deal here? You're the great teacher. He says, Nick, you must be saved. You must be born again. You must be born from above. Even though you're a religious leader and you know so much, you lack the Holy Spirit. You lack that new life. You have to die to your old self and come to new life. We were at a children's meeting yesterday. We have them once a month for you that um, teach in Sunday school or, or in kids clubhouse and all these different things so you can be well trained. But Frankie and Jasmine, they do a, just a, a smashing job. They bring such good word. I, I, I never miss them. I get so fortified and so filled up. But at one point, uh, Frankie gave this throwaway comment and I stole it. I'm going to make it my own. But he goes, you know, you can be smart, you can be intelligent. These guys were the, the Sanhedrin, the leaders of Israel and all. Uh, you could be the smartest sinner in the room. But that's not going to get you to heaven. You might know theology, you might be able to argue backwards, forward, inside out, all this kind of stuff. You're just brilliant. Smartest sinner in the room. Or be the simplest saint. Right? Kiss. K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, saints. It's not about 
your degree, your knowledge, and all that. Have you been with Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you have a testimony that you walk with Jesus? There was something I saw again on the news just recently. There was a guy in Times Square in New York, and he's going on. He's an atheist, a well-known atheist, and he's got a crowd of people gathered, and he's talking about how stupid Christianity is and going on and on, mocking it and going on. And this old man who was a preacher happened to be in the crowd. He walked out. He had an apple, and he bit the apple, and he approached the preacher, and he says, or he goes on and on. He goes, you, you claim that, that Christianity isn't true. And the guy goes on and on and on. He takes another bite of the apple. And the guy goes, what do you have to say in defense of Christianity? He just takes a bite of the apple, chews on it. He says, this apple, is it tart or is it sweet? And the man goes, how can I know? I haven't eaten it. You're the one eating it. Why don't you tell us? And the man proceeded to tell him about Jesus. He says, I've eaten the apple. I've tasted. I've seen. He is good. He is sweet. You don't know what you're talking about. And the crowd just dissolved. Went away. How do you argue with that kind of logic? I'm giving you my personal experience, firsthand account. I've tasted and see, and I can tell you, I once was blind. Now I see. I once was lost. Now I'm found. I'm a new creature in Christ, and my life has never been the same since. I, I love that. At the baptism just the other day, um, Valerie, she isn't here. She's visiting family today. I'm going to tell a story on her. But it was so beautiful. Um, she wanted to get baptized, right, and, and was had different confusion. Different churches have taught her different things, sprinkling this, or you're not really Christian if you haven't, blah, 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 blah. Here she is. She wants to get baptized. We go down to the river, get in the river, and as she comes up out of the water, she's like, it's better than I can imagine. And, and, it, and it, wasn't, it wasn't like just a thought. She was just overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit. And, and we're sitting here holding on to her, and you could feel it. It's like, wow, this is really cool. And she gets home, and she calls me again and, and again. And she's just, I'm different. There's something new in my life. This is amazing. And I'm like, I know. And how do you tell that to somebody who hasn't tasted it? How, you, 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 you can say it all day long, but you, you, you need to get in the water. You need, you need to see what's going on here. So they saw the boldness, not the ranting, not the raging, not the raving, the boldness, the lucid, clear, powerful, convicting testimony of these men. We saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, and they marveled, and they realized they had been with Jesus. That must be it. That must be it. I remember when I was uh, young in the Lord, and we were just hungry for the Word, and so we would join Bible studies, and Bible studies were growing, and we were having outreaches in the park. We weren't an official church, but we would do all kinds of stuff. And I invite all the other churches in the area. Hey, come to the park. We're having all a concert and all this kind of stuff. And so many pastors would ask me, well, what seminary did you go to? I'm like, I haven't gone to any seminary. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I, I'm, I'm just a green old Christian, but all I know is I want to preach Jesus, right? And they're always challenging me on this, but I knew Jesus. And, and, and it was, it's, it's amazing. Um, and it says they were uneducated, untrained, right? It's interesting. Um, in the Greek, that's grammatos idiotos. 
grammatically idiots, is what the word says. They were uneducated and untrained. Grammatos idiotai. And yet, I love this story. When we were in the Philippines with uh, um, Rainbow Village, we had the agape girls, the girls that had come to us for all kinds of abuse in their life, physical, mental, emotional, sexual abuse. They were there under protective custody while their court cases were being held. The people who had done these injustices to them would easily try to eliminate them without the testimony, then they would go free. But there was this one girl with us, her name was Ronalyn. And she had probably some of the purest, simplest faith of anybody I've ever met in my whole life. We preached Jesus to her. She said, okay. We started reading the Bible. Okay. And she would just obey. And everything, it wasn't, it wasn't any struggle in her to figure it out. She just did everything. It was really convicting for the rest of us. It's like, wow, <laughs> you're amazing. Well, the day came, she got word through our social worker that her father, which was in the local uh, prison, was being sent up to Manila to, sent to live out his life term. She'd never see him again. He was, he was the one who had done bad things to her. And so our social worker and Cheryl and Ronalyn went up to the jail to meet with him, and, and, and she wanted to tell him, about Jesus, Ronalyn, before my dad goes away, the one who's raped me and abused me, I need to make sure, I only have one last chance, I need to make sure he knows Jesus, at least that I've told him, that I, I'm, I forgive him, and that I'm praying for him. And uh, we, they met uh, Ronalyn's mother there at the jail, and they all went in, they came to the table, and he's there, and they're speaking in Cebuano. And all of a sudden, the, the conversation starts getting really agitated. And the mom's sitting there with her arms folded. And, and, and Ronalyn's like this, and our social worker, and Cheryl's like, not a clue what's going on. And the father gets up and leaves. And you're thinking, man, I kind of worried about Ronalyn and her tender heart. And what this must have done to her faith. And he comes back. And he's holding a Bible. And he said, somebody gave me a Bible in jail. And I've been reading it. And he started to read out of the Bible from Isaiah and from Matthew and all these different places. The gospel message. And the mother got up and she's just, you haven't read a word in your life. You are illiterate. You can't read anything. He goes, I know, but I don't understand. I can read this. And he just read and read and read. And Ronalyn, who knew the gospel, knew the Bible, you know, she, she's telling Cheryl, she goes, she's, you know, interpreting. She goes, that, he's, he's reading. He's reading every word off the page. My dad has never word or read a word in his life. This grammatas idiotas had been with Jesus. And, you know, it's just, it's so beautiful. And, and I don't know if there's a moral to this story. There's probably a thousand, right? But if there's one moral, read your word. Read your Bible every day and pray. And the next day, repeat and repeat. How long do I repeat? <laughs> right? I we joke a little bit amongst some of the different ministries in the, in the southern Idaho area here. 
we Calvary chapels, we we preach the Bible, you know, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. You guys just, you just read the Bible and talk about it. At our church, we have theology. We have lecture series on forgiveness or marriage or whatever. And I'm like, I know. And I realize we're quite simple. And I, I own that. And then I always just put in this little dig. And someday, when we master the Bible, maybe we can catch up with you. Seriously? The Word, it's alive, it's active, it's power, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the Word of God. Why would you fiddle around with all this other stuff? They realized he had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Shut them up. Reality check. They don't believe in miracles, and there's a miracle standing in front of them. They all know it. They've seen this guy for 40 years, and here is this guy who has received a touch from God. How do you deny that? That man, now that he could stand, he knew what he stood for. And that testimony is irrefutable. They couldn't say anything against it. Verse 15, but when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they confronted conferred amongst themselves, saying, what shall we do to these men? It says, for indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident. Notable miracle. That means it was witnessed by all people. You can't deny. Everybody knows it. We can't say it didn't happen. It'd be like saying you know, that we're dead and we're here, we're alive. We can't, we can't deny the existence of it. It's a notable miracle. It's evident to every, everybody knows it. What are we going to do with this miracle? We don't believe in miracles. What are we going to do? You cannot deny it. <laughs> okay, I'll get political for just a second. I know we're out of time, but... If you've been following the news, we've had an issue with the Speaker of the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. And we didn't have a speaker and all kinds of ridicule. And you know what? I think it's well-deserved, frankly. I get, I get just as fed up with the elephants as I do with the donkeys. Why don't these people do what they're hired to do? We, you know, vote them in, go legislate. Okay, I'm getting a little political here. But then we do vote in a Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. This guy is Christian. I, he, he may disagree with a little point here or there, but there's no denying. This guy lives out his faith. And what happens now? Everybody is piling on. Everybody is just condemning this holier-than-thou guy who's going to use the Bible to rule the country and all this kind of stuff. And why is this? Because they're afraid. They know they can lose their power because they're up against a simple man, a simple saint. And he just preaches the word of God. And it just infuriates all these people. And they would lo love to do nothing more than shut him down. It says, it says um, we cannot deny it, verse 17, but so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in his name. You can't do that, right? How, how often do we have now our government, our Sanhedrin, if you will, legislating against Christianity? against 
teaching Jesus in the schools, in public, in the military, all these different places where we're coming under attack and they're trying to shut us down. They're trying to tell us that there's a virus and you can't go to church. You can go to the bar, you can buy liquor, you can get pot, but you can't come to church. And, and we're living in these days, okay? And we have these issues. And, and we can learn a lot from this. They want to threaten them to speak to no man in his name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. You can't do that. Knock it off. It doesn't say here, but I, I'm just imagining Peter and John say, by what power or by what name do you tell us to do this? Because really it's an authority struggle, right? It's a control struggle, and you can't do that. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Truth, honesty, forthrightness, integrity. Just speak the truth. You don't have to worry about your defense. In fact, Mark Twain has a cute line. You don't even have to remember anything if you'll just speak the truth. Right? <laughs> but what a tangled web we weave when at first we practice to deceive and then we're trying to figure out all the little pieces that hold up our charade, our lie. Just speak the truth. And they say, we can't help but just this is what happened. What do you want me to say some other crazy thing? They, thou, him, her, she, whatever. It's just truth. I'm just speaking truth. If you can't handle it, maybe you're the one that needs to go away. Maybe you're the one that needs to figure out why you get so triggered when I simply speak the truth. And remember, not ranting, not raving, not unkind, in love but speak the truth. You judge, verse 20, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. This is it, political expediency. They were afraid of losing their position from the people. The people saw what was happening. The people saw the man healed. The people knew it was Jesus. The people glorified God. And, and these are all wonderful things, and they just can't stop that. And that's what we need to be, church, salt and light. Just stand up and calmly, peacefully, clearly, boldly, just tell people the truth, and then let them deal with it. That's, that's on, it's in their court. So when they had further threatened them, threats and threats and threats and threats, then they let him go, finding no way of punishing them. Verse 22, for the man was over 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing had been performed. I'm going to stop right there because of time. I probably went on a little bit too much with all my side stories this morning. But I just, I would, I, as we wrap this all up and we pray about what we're seeing and what we're hearing, just know in the, in the world that we live in today, the, the battle rages, but we've been with Jesus. We win. We have the victory. You already actually have the victory. You just simply need to get out and share the truth with people. 
And we're finding week after week after week, more and more people are hungry for the Lord. They're asking Jesus to come into their lives. They're being born again. They're changed. And we are having influence in our community. And we need to continue doing the things that we are doing and let God move the pieces on the chessboard. We just be faithful to the things that he's put in our path from day to day as we go forward in the name of Jesus. Amen. Father God, I want to thank you for Peter and John and their their witness, their testimony that here we are a couple thousand years later and so encouraged by them. And I think the courage that we get from them, imagine what kind of courage our children must get from us when we pray at a restaurant and they see it or we share with a neighbor and they witness that. That Lord Jesus, help us to carry that legacy and impart it to our neighbors, our children, our family, our friends. Help us, Lord, to walk in the truth boldly and in love and see you in our midst. I pray for each soul here now as we're dismissed that you would not only just fill us with that love and peace and hope and joy, but, Lord, you'd give us an opportunity. I pray right now, this week, give each one of us opportunity to live out what you have just put in us in Jesus name amen amen thanks for joining us today to learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.